Well, I've got a little bit of a predicament because I've tried to put into words what I've got to share. I may or may not have managed it by the end of it. You can tell me afterwards if you think I have. I know that God spoke to me last Sunday very clearly about what to share. And being me, I've tried to then work out how to communicate that rather than just say exactly what he said, although I've got what, exactly what he said later. Um, so we're going to start off with a science lesson, because I know you all like science. I'm alive. No, no, really, I'm alive. No, no, re- really, I'm alive. And that's amazing. I'm made out of atoms, little tiny bits of stuff, mainly something called hydrogen, carbon, and oxygen, mainly. And there's a few other bits in there as well, which make me work, but basically, that's what I am, a lump of fuel, really. But I'm alive. That's amazing. In the creation story, we hear how God created life by taking a lump of earth, some of the dust of the ground, and he shaped the man and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. There's very little difference between me and the mud that's outside. But I'm alive and most of the mud out there isn't alive. There may well be a few items in there which a gardener could tell me about which could be said to be living. But I'm alive I'm alive because God's breathed his life into me. And a little while ago, I did a little talk, and it involved something to do with uh, space, and talked about the size of space and how enormous it is. Well, we're going to go on to a journey in the other direction today, just a little journey, and we're going to look at a little video which was produced by some people at some foreign university called Harvard. So... Uh, uh, I think it's like Oxford Brooks. Sorry? It's in Boston, right, yeah. And what they did was they put together the same people that do all these flash animations for... um, I don't mean flash animations, I mean... Sorry, this is a flash... Never mind. The people that do amazing animations for children's films, well, they were given a brief by the people at Harvard to try and show us what goes on inside our bodies. And... um, Uh, before your imagination runs away too fast, it's about cells, basically. And inside this particular cell, inside this particular body, there's a cell that's in trouble, okay? And um, what we're going to see in this little story is some of the amazing things that go on inside our body that keep us alive. Now, I realize there are certain people in the room that are much more qualified to talk about this than I am. So all I'm going to say is, I watched this and I thought, this is amazing. So this is inside our body, okay? These are not little creatures. These are part of you and me. And we start off in the bloodstream with some red blood cells. You can start it going. With some red blood cells and a special kind of cell called a white blood cell, which is looking for trouble. It's um, like the policeman in our body. And... uh, These blue things are the white blood cells, and they're sniffing. They're specially tuned to look for trouble. They move along by using these little tiny legs that they've been made with that reach on to the sides of this is an arteriole, a a very small artery in our body. 
This is inside the cell itself. And this is showing you some of the structures that are inside our cells. If we look there, it's not real, it's animation, but it's giving you an idea of some of the things that are going on inside of us every day. Some of the cells can't move, some of the structures can't move, so they have to form and reform from molecules and atoms within them. So here we've got a, a long tube that's forming at one end and breaking apart at the other, and that's how it actually special enzymes make this happen. In a moment, you can see a pair of scissors. That's a pair of God's scissors. Look, that's an enzyme that breaks up particular molecules in our body at one time. Now, the nucleus is sus that there's a problem. In a moment, it's going to start sending out messengers. So, oh, he's amazing. Isn't he amazing? He's inside me. I want to meet him. I really do. And he's moving part of the cell around. This is the vision of what the cell might look like. This is the central part of the cell, the nucleus. It knows it's in trouble, so it's sending out these messengers now. So it's saying, come on, white blood cell, come and rescue me. So it's sending out these scents. There's this white blood cells going, oh, what's that? As it moves along the bloodstream, and eventually it will notice this smell, and it will stop. This is going on inside of each of us every day. Well, much, much faster. This is hugely slowed down. He's still doing his job. I like to do that. Isn't that cool? He's definitely the hero of the animation. If you want to know more about the actual animation, it's not the main point of the talk today. You can have a little look. It's called The Inner Life of the Cell, and it's found on YouTube and various other places by BioVisions. It's nearly finished. So um, that's actually the outside of the cell structure, and those things have got to be got rid of. So here comes our policeman, and he's noticed there's a problem. So what he's going to do is he slips out the wall of the artery, arteriole, and goes off and sorts out the trouble. And that's the end of the show. So, I say that was put together by these guys at Harvard saying, look, we've got this subject called biology, and it's not very exciting. No, I'm only saying that as a physicist. We've got this subject, and people can't imagine what's going on inside them. Why am I mentioning this? Life is amazing. We're made up of these things, simple things, atoms, been around forever. But when they're joined together in us, not only can I do this, can I think up here, can I look at a field and say, well, that's a nice view, or I can look at my friend Clive and say, I do like Clive so much. I've got all that ability to do those things, but inside me, I've got little cells getting in trouble, and, and there's a cell over here saying, help me, help me, and there's a, another bit of my body going, oh, I'll go and sort that out. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the Bible talks about the parts of the body working together. And when we're joined together as a body, the body of Christ, the church, we work together to keep the body safe. And there's, there are different ones of us have different roles within that. But actually, isn't it amazing that God's given us that thing that's called life? Life is absolutely amazing. But all we're looking at there is the biology, the physics, the physical life. And God's given us something else as well.
If we look at um, John, at the beginning of John, John chapter 1, I'll just read you four verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So in Jesus, there was that life, that life that was put into, the, into Adam in the very creation, that thing called life, that life that goes beyond the amazingness of the biology, the life that is forever eternal and enduring. That life was put into Jesus so that we might understand more about God. When it says, Jesus was the light, the life was the light of men. When Jesus lives in us, he shows us things. He shows us how to see the world, how to understand the news, how to love our neighbour. He shows us things that we don't otherwise see. In John 11, we read, um, Jesus has gone to the house of Mary and Martha, where Lazarus has died. And Jesus says to Martha, says to Mary talking about Lazarus, um, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? In other words, there is something in Jesus of life that is even more marvellous than those amazing pictures or images that we've just been looking at in that video. His life is eternal. And today, of all days, of course, we remember... Jesus' new life. Jesus' resurrection. I find God speaks to me in all sorts of strange ways. And I don't mean with funny voices, but I mean when I'm walking around and when I see things, I I find God speaking to me. So the other day, I was walking around, and, um, and I saw a picture like this one. Why is it not? Oh, it does come up. Okay doesn't come up on there. That's really confusing me. Um, a picture like this one. Oh, it's just a church. And uh, it's not really a church, is it? Did anyone spoke? What is it? It's a church building. That's right. We are the church. That's the building. Right. Every church building you come across, nearly, seems to have one of these things around it. What is it? It's a graveyard full of dead things. Well, dead people, mostly. I'm sure some have got some dogs and cats and things like that in them as well. But they've got a graveyard. Every church has a graveyard. And I was thinking about the fact, well, of course, we don't believe in the church as a building. And I thought, does our church have a graveyard? And then I was at the baptisms the other, the other week, and we sat there and we listened to Daniel expounding the fact that we were at the happiest funeral ever. And my little brain is going, and I'm thinking, we do have a graveyard. Because when I was born again, when I was baptised, Jesus took my old self, and I was made dead. I went into the water, and I came out new. I left him behind. I'm sure those of you who were there will remember the old man sketch. Uh, you know, the, 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 this sort of ugly draped thing over the new man 
If Daniel were here, I could pick on him, but he's not, so I, I could get him to act it out for me. But this thing that clings on to us, when we get baptized, we leave him behind in the water. And we know that over and over again, the, uh, we, we're taught about how important it is to die to ourself. Now, here's a funny phrase, die to, dying to yourself. Got any idea how many times that comes up in the Bible? Well, of course, I am talking about the precise phrase. There's lots of verses about dying to yourself. There aren't actually any verses that say, die to yourself. What actually Jesus said was anyone who would follow me should... Oh, sorry. It doesn't come up on this screen. It's really confused me. Anyway, um, anyone who would come after me, will let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, obviously, if you're going to go on a cross, you're going to die. Okay? You're going to die. Joining the church is about dying, actually. When we join the church, we die to ourselves. We actually leave behind the rubbish that God has... That, that, that we have created around us, that God can cleanse us, that we can step into newness of life. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Been hearing much about fruitfulness recently? Paul writes to the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. For Mark, Mark records Jesus' words as saying in chapter 8, For whoever would save his life would lose it, but for whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Now, we understand that in those days, when Jesus was saying that, it really was about losing your life. It really was like, if you followed Jesus, you were quite likely to meet a sticky end. For most of us in this country, the closest to a sticky end is being ostracized by your friends. It's maybe having someone giggle at you for being so silly. The kind of death he's talking about there, I think... Losing your life is getting lost in the wonder of him. It's being lost in the wonder of pursuing him, of pressing into those things that he has for us, the things that he has taken hold of us for. So there are some things that are supposed to be in our graveyard, ourselves. But interestingly, the Bible also talks about putting things to death. Romans 8, so we're dead, right? Paul's writing to people that have been crucified with Christ. He's talking about people that have been baptized. And he says, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you'll put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live because you're led of the Spirit of God. Those led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The message writes Colossians 3, 5, in this way, um, talking about putting things to death. 
that we should kill off everything connected with the old way of life. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like it, when you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. So there's something which we have stepped free from in baptism. We've died. But there's a something that we need to keep stepping free from to live. I think that's, that makes sense. There's a something which God has given us that ability in baptism to step free from, but there needs to be a putting things to death. But we don't do it by determination. We don't do it by uh, uh, beating ourselves. We do it by the Spirit. By the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body. Because Paul writes that we should set our hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So, that graveyard's looking quite full at the moment. But there are some things that end up in the graveyard that shouldn't be there. You know, you can have a dream about something, about God using you in a particular way, and not really through any deliberate point, but I think it's possible to let that dream fall to the ground. We can have a gift, or sense we have a gift in something, and well, they didn't recognize that gift. And we can let that gift fall to the ground. We can have abilities. We can even have God-given relationships that we fail to develop and maintain. And there are things that end up in that place of death that God never intended to be there. So, my encouragement this morning is, is asking you to think about what's in your graveyard What have you put there? Are there things that should be there? Are there things that currently are on you that God's saying, put them in the graveyard, get rid of that thing? Are there things that you've let fall into the graveyard that shouldn't be there? There may well be some other things that you can think about in this, but this is all just from looking at a church and thinking, oh, look, that church has got a graveyard, and then thinking about us, and then thinking about graveyard. So this is the way, this, it's, just, it's, a, it's a mess in here. It's an absolute mess in here. I start off with a nice picture of daffodils in a church, and then I'm thinking about all these other things. But church, this is a day of resurrection. This is a day of resurrection. This is a day when... And this is where I believe, and it's taken me half an hour to get there, but this is where I believe God's word is to us. God's word to us today is, this is a day of resurrection. I'm just going to read this uh, little section. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. 
the sun had stopped shining. And the temple curtain was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. going to come back to that. The life that was in Jesus burst out of the old structures. From the moment of his birth, there had been a battle. When Jesus is taken to the temple, it takes two old people, a guy called Simeon and a, a woman called Anna, to recognize Jesus for who he is. There they were, surrounded by death, Surrounded by death, there was nothing living in that synagogue where they were, yet they recognized the life that was in Jesus. And God stirred up the hopes of his followers in Jesus. A new life that was to lay ahead, a new life of the kingdom. But in 24 hours, they'd gone from breaking bread together to that moment of Jesus breathing his last. All those things that I was talking about, the marvellous magic of what goes on inside our body, stopped. God had kept him alive through his childhood. God had kept him alive through being a carpenter. God had kept him alive when people had gone to stone him. But at that point... Jesus died. Absolutely. Utterly. Painfully. As he surrendered to God. He was helpless, in a sense. But he was in God's hands. It looked like the enemy was winning. But actually, what happened was a doorway to greater blessing. Sometimes we face death in our lives. And it can be painful. It can be definite. But it's up to us to allow it to involve surrender, to place our lives into his hands. Because whatever it looks like, God has got different plans to death for us. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people had gathered to witness, when all the people gathered to witness this sight, saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. But Joseph goes to Pilate, 
he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in the tomb cut in the rock, one which no one had ever been laid, for it was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So that life that was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness on that dreadful day was put out. Put into a borrowed tomb. And laid there, sealed behind a big stone. Everyone who Jesus reached out to still knew the healing he brought them. But the signs of the kingdom were not very close at hand. The kingdom looked lost. So the disciples go into hiding. All they've come to believe and hope for was shaken. At his death, their hopes and vision, their relationship with him, all broken. They would feel abandoned, their security gone. So they would need to mourn. When someone dies, or something dies, we need to mourn. So to cope with that, the women go to do something helpful, and they go to the tomb. So the day after the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found that the stone had been rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these other things, the eleven. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. This is some big gaggle of people. This is not one or two. This is a big gaggle of people. But the disciples did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away, wondering to himself what had happened. You know, when something dies, it, it dies, we mourn. But when God raises it to life, it doesn't stay where we put it. When things die, whatever mess I make, however much I bog up in that death, 
Only that which is of me will die. That which is of him will survive. Paul talks about building. He talks about building with costly things that will survive the test. Wood, hay, stubble will burn up. But the costly stuff, the gold and the precious metals, that they will last. You know, when something dies, we have to lay it down. I believe that God will raise that to life. That which is of him to life in it. And this is a day to rejoice in the resurrection of that life. I think we can live our lives stuck on Good Friday. I think we can live our lives stuck on the, well, I've got to die. I started off talking about all those things that told us about how we needed to die to ourselves. All of which are true, right? But God wants to raise some things to life in you today. It's absolutely right that we need to put to death those things that are not pleasing to him. But do you know what? I think that for every, pretty much, everything that I might mess up, there can be hidden in there a strength that God can use. Because I believe that in all things, God works for those who are called according to his purpose and will. And as I lay those things down, so he will give back to me the purer gift, the righter gift, the new life in him. Paul writes in Romans 6, We were therefore buried in him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I believe this is a day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because Jesus is alive, because we can have relationship with him. Maybe you don't have that kind of relationship with him. I believe that God can, for each one of us, open up that kind of relationship where you can be walking along the road and you can see something and you can have a whole conversation with him about it. God wants to stir that up in you. But I believe also there are things that have died that God wants to raise to life for us. Some of those things that have died, which might be where there are dreams that have, di- that have died, gifts that have not been used, or where you've lost your vision for something. This is Resurrection Day. Where life is a drudge, work is a chore. This is Resurrection Day. God will raise to life that which is of him today. So let's just pray. Father, I pray that in all that we've I've spoken about this morning, there might be one thing that is absolutely clear. Today is Resurrection Day. Today is the day that you are bursting with life. Today is the day when we remember that bursting out of the tomb. 
Today is the day when we remember how you allowed us in dying to you, in dying to ourselves, being born to eternal life. Father, I pray that for each of us this morning, you would stir that gift of faith to believe in that resurrection. Lord, what have we got in our graveyard? What have we put there that you want to raise to life? For those whose dreams are dead, for those whose gifts are not used, for those where vision is lost, this is Resurrection Day. Where family life is a chore, where loneliness is a pain, where work is a drudge, this is Resurrection Day. God raised to life that which is of you and let our deadness be gone in the name of Jesus. Amen.